Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Keeson. I've been doing this podcast since September of 2012, and boy, are my lips tired. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And my usual co-host for Thursdays, Alex Standy, is uh, recovering from some surgery. So, Alex, if you're tuned in, we're sending out well wishes to you and wait for you to rejoin us on the show. And also, I wanted to let listeners know about a new meetup group that I just set up. Um, some of you may remember last October, I had a special event called the Brain Retrainers Club. And we had a, a, a Zoom meeting and uh, something like, I don't know, 30, 40 people showed up. It was a pretty good turnout. And it was all about just retuning our brains to pay more attention to the positive and to what feels good in life and take our minds off all that crazy negative stuff that we're dealing with on a regular basis. Well, that's what this new meetup group is all about. So in the show notes, I will put a link to uh, where you can sign up for the group. And that way you can get notifications about uh, each of the different meetup meetings we're going to have. They're all going to be online. They're all going to be Zoom. So uh, it, it'll be really easy for anyone to connect from around the world, presuming, of course, that you're connecting from a time zone that works with my time zone. But other than that, it'll be pretty easy to connect. And uh, I have a special guest joining me today. His name is Dan McQueen. And uh, Dan had something happen at age 28 that uh, you know all of us wish we would never experience at an age like that. But he did. And it actually proved in the long run to be, as strange as this is going to sound, beneficial to him. But I'll let him tell his story. Daniel, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? Hey, Walt, well, very well. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. So got to tell people what happened when you were 28. Sure, Walt, I'd love to. So I'm living in London, England, jolly old. When this all happened, I was having these headaches that got pretty bad over a few weeks. And my vision would go spotty and sometimes just go black. And I was wondering what was going on here. I went to a &E, which is accident and emergency. They thought it was vertigo and they sent me home. Um, but they told me if the headaches were to continue, I should get them checked in an optometrist. So I went to get my eyes checked, just, you know, a regular optometrist appointment. The optometrist stops the exam midway through. And he goes, you need to go directly to Moorfields Hospital, which is a hospital in London. And he gave me a sealed envelope. So I was like, okay, this is pretty serious. Um, so I decided that, you know, I'm going to be probably out for the whole day, so I should go home and get some lunch first and go <laughs> phone charge and a book to read because I'll be out for the whole day. So, But I didn't yeah. open the envelope, which I figured was kind of the main ask of this. Don't, don't delay, don't defer, don't do anything like this. I didn't open the envelope. They ran the same tests at Moorfields Hospital, then they escalated me to Charing Cross Hospital. It turns out I had a dangerous buildup of pressure in my brain caused from a non-cancerous cyst in my head. Mm -hmm. They needed to operate, and I should let those people know that I was going into surgery tomorrow. So I sounded the alarm, the folks in Canada, my work. Uh, it was all kind of going fast. You know, I texted my mom and... I'll see you soon, Mom. I think I'll have a new haircut next time I see you. All these things of like, this could be the last text message I write. How's this going to go down? My mom was in the air flying to London on June 21st, 2014, when I was on the operating table. Mm. Something went wrong and I had a massive bleed in the brain, a brain hemorrhage. Wow. They think the cyst burst when they operated. So my mom lands and finds I'm in critical condition. I was in a coma for four weeks. Mm. But was in and out of consciousness for months after that. 
So things got really dicey really quickly. When all of a sudden done, I was learning how to walk, talk, and smile again in the hospital mm. there. So then it goes on to grueling rehab and learning to walk again. That was a whole feat. That took a whole lot of time to, to devour that and to establish that again because I couldn't – my leg had frozen at an angle in the ICU, so I had to wear a splint. Wow. Splints that get cast you wherever your leg. Help stretch out your leg muscle. I had to wear this one hour a night to stretch out my leg. And it was horrifically painful to wear this, Walt. I was biting my arm, trying to distract myself from the pain. Wow. When the nurse would, and then the timer would go off, I'd buzz the nurse, they'd come and remove the splint. And I'd gradually build up walking on the Zimmer frame, which is a four post walker, ATV style thing. Moved up to the Ferrari, which is a red four wheeled walker that you can kind of waddle around quickly on. Moved up to naked walks, which is walking without sport rates. Then came time to walk in Tune Broadway. And this is one of my hacks that I share in my talk, Walt. It's, it goes into constructive optimism. If I may, I'll share this one story and I'll open up for questions if you don't mind. So constructive optimism is one thing I, I share with people I speak to, and that's about reframing your obstacles that you're facing. So Tuning Broadway in London is South London. It's what they call up and coming, which means it's a bit dodgy. Mm-hmm. I think sirens... Drugs, gangs, it's a bit hectic. It's full on. I'm walking with a cane. I'm walking with an eye patch. I'm Bambi on ice out here. I turn the corner onto Toon Broadway. Immediately, I slammed into by someone. I stagger back. Someone scurries past me on the right-hand side. Someone's been stabbed in the sidewalk over here. I'm like, this is a pretty wild place to learn to walk, Walt. This place sucks to walk, man. Mm. After a few days, I was getting pretty dejected by this and thinking, why is this... So difficult to walk here. And then one day I shifted my perspective. Maybe this isn't the worst place to walk in the world. Maybe this is the best place. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. Now, Tune Broadway didn't change, right? It's still still up and coming as far as I'm aware today, right? Mm -hmm. Went from the worst to the best in my mind, and we reflected that. And my whole recovery has been scattered with these kind of reframes and chip perspective shifts that have allowed me to navigate this world and, and come out to where I'm now. And that's a speaker, um, someone who's fired up on life. I'm just trying to showcase, you know, there's a different way to look at things that maybe what you think. That's the story in a nutshell there, Walt. Yeah. And it's one heck of a story. Uh, I mean, people deal with all kinds of, situations, traumas. It's a very common theme to have people come here onto the program to talk about their own crash and burn they went through and how they rose afterward. But yours is one of the most serious ones I've heard. I mean, it's quite clear you were fighting for your life as you were dealing with all of this. And yet you managed to come out the other side with not only a perspective uh, that many people would consider to be very optimistic, very hopeful, <clears throat> but you actually wanted to teach based on it, and that's quite an accomplishment. What I mean, what made you actually go that direction, do you think? Well, well, it's I paid a steep price for this, right? Like, I really coma for four weeks, months of grueling rehab, and I got back to work and then had a second setback. Let's see, you have another emergency brain surgery, and I had to relearn everything again. Wow. So, like, I paid a heavy price for this, and it was through the, like, 
And once you recover, it wouldn't waste it be to leave these lessons I learned on the sidelines of life. Like, you know, I paid this price in blood, sweat, and tears, but I'm just going to, you know, you know, and I'm past it now. I've recovered. I don't need to know this. Because everyone's going through something difficult and hard right now. You face adversity every day in your life. Maybe not a brain hemorrhage. The odds are you're not going to face a brain hemorrhage. That's a very small percentage of people. Right. But you're going to face a breakup, a job loss, a diagnosis for you, a loved one. How are you going to handle that punch, that proverbial punch to the mouth, as Mike Tyson called it? Mm. I've got a roadmap for how you can navigate this. My acceptance is such a key part of this, Walt. The first setback, the first traumatic brain injury took me a month to recover from it. The second setback took me a week. This past summer, Walt, I was let go from my tech job where I was at for nine years. Wow. Uh, part of a corporate restructuring, 400 other people lost their job. <clears throat> that took me a lunch. Made my acceptance with it, bought this computer, and not the race as a speaker ever since. It's like the hack I can give people is like accelerate. <coughs> Excuse me. Accelerate your acceptance, and that allows you to navigate the world in a much better way. I think you've actually gone beyond acceptance. You found a way to appreciate what you went through and to take that appreciation to another level, which is that's like the hardest thing that anyone can do with any kind of trauma, but especially for, with one like this. But you, you've actually found value in it. And, and that's, that's extraordinary. That, that's a, a tremendous achievement. And I, I commend you for it. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of the fact that you're sharing your experience with others in order to help encourage them to do the same thing. Thanks, Walt. Yeah, I think it's like, it can be the worst of the best. Right? Walking into your Broadway was the worst. No, it's the best. What in your life are you facing that could be the worst, but actually maybe the best? If you think about things differently, maybe they're not so bad. Maybe it's not so difficult. It's like, I'm not comparing apples to apples here. I'm not saying, look at my story, look at how great I am. But I am saying, I've been through this and I've learned these lessons. What are you facing and what's holding you back? Mm-hmm. What's holding you back, man? Like, Oh, this didn't happen to you. Okay, like, and? That and question is so key for this. What, what do you expect to happen? What do you want to have happen? And and what? Well, this you don't understand. This happens to me this way. Okay, and? And they just tire themselves up by saying and 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 and. Life, life's not fair. It happens for you, not to you. You got to react. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. These are all like cliche phrases that you use, and I'm ripping them off here, but... I believe this stuff. Like this happens for me, not to me. I get the chance to navigate this. I get the, the opportunity to build back from this. Like, oh, you think I'm done and dusted now, bud? Let me let me climb back and show what's up. Mm. My um, yeah, that's what I want to kind of get across there. Well, that's that's terrific. You're reminding me of a, another story that was told to me by one of my first co-hosts here on the program. His name is Joel Elston, and uh, Joel went through uh, his own version of, of severe trauma. He was a gambling addict who ended up stealing from his family, going to Vegas, losing all the money, being homeless, having to eat out of a dumpster in order to survive, went through all kinds of horrors there, ended up getting arrested for the theft, went to jail about that, I mean, one thing after another. And then he ended up later on as a, as a therapist and then as a life coach. And as a therapist, all of that provided a foundation for him to reach some young people who others couldn't reach. They were mainly boys who lived in foster care, whose uh, original family situations were horrific, to use a word, and who had developed very jaded attitudes about 
where their life was going and so forth. And, and he knew from the statistics that uh, boys who are in foster care who don't get adopted by age 18, the odds are overwhelming, like well over 95 percent that they're either going to be dead or in jail by the time they're 25. And he wanted to try to help them. Well, he would get the worst cases, the ones that the social workers couldn't figure out a way to, to get through to them. And they, they'd sit down in front of him very reluctantly, very sullenly. And he'd, he'd try to get them to open up. You know, why should I talk to you would be their response. And he, he'd say, uh, well, why don't you try me? He says, oh, yeah. And the kid would give him like, well, have you ever had to deal with this, that, that, and the other thing? And Joel would tell his story and the kid would go, oh. Like he knew inside, yeah, you have been through the kind of thing I've been through. And I think that's what you're saying. When, when, when you've been through the ringer, when you've been ground up in the mill, it's easy for some, easier for somebody who's gone through the mill themselves to feel like, yeah, they can talk to you. They can appreciate you. They can see, you can tell where they're coming from because you've been there. Yeah. And the key thing here is like, I share my story and it seems very self, um, I'm getting this, like I'm doing a lot of podcasts now. I'm sharing my story over and over again. And it seems very self-aggrandizing, like look at how good I am. But it's like, it, it, I hope it doesn't come across like that. I'm really just trying no. to say, like, look, I've been through this experience because now you can listen to what I'm saying after the fact. Like my life starts, like the talk that I give, I say, now start your engines after the medical rap sheet. And I try to say like, this is to kind of give you like, okay, you've done this, you've been through this, but now here's the strides I've used to be better than yesterday. Here's how I navigate this difficult situation. Here's how I change my perspective. Here's how I adapt these new hacks and habits to build myself up and get better. It's like, if you don't believe that I've been through something difficult, then you're not going to believe in what I say. So it's like, you got to kind of juggle the, walk this line of like, look what I've been through, but not look at how great I am, you know? Yeah. It's not about how great you are. It's what you've learned from it and what you're sharing from it. There you go. Yeah. And, and that's a tremendous gift that you're able to give to many, many, many people, um, many of whom I'm sure need to hear a gift like that. There, there's something about hearing somebody else's troubles and challenges that sort of brings ours into perspective. I mean, there, 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 there's like that, that aspect to it. Well, the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. For some people, that's bigger and smaller, but it's your truth. And if you think yours is so bad and you tell your story and thinking like, I'm going to get lots of sympathy for the story. And someone goes, Hey man, I've been through this. <laughs> you're like, Oh, okay. Well, that's a bit more strong than mine. Like, okay, I guess I can navigate this world. I should probably shut up about this and just like kind of get you some perspective on this. Right. And I think that's so key for this, that you can share that perspective and just kind of learn from each other is what I'm trying to do here. And perspective is huge. That's one of my favorite uh, words to use and to talk about here on the show uh, just because I, I've been doing this podcast now for about 10 years, a little, little over 10 years, done well over 1800 episodes and so many people I've talked with over the years and every single one that I've talked to has had not only a different perspective, but a perspective that I can learn from and that listeners have learned from. So, I mean, I've really begun, not begun, I have come over time to appreciate perspective and just how powerful perspective really is and helping us to understand how to navigate the world in our own lives, in our own terms, in our own situations. So, yeah, I'm with you totally on on the thing about perspective. There's a great far side comic that I use in one of my talks. It's um, I used to love far side comics growing up, but it's this uh, this bird's point of view, and it goes: the worlds are all the people are all bullseyes. 
Hmm. The perspective of a bird. And he goes, perspective right. is everything. And I love that because it just kind of showcases you like, look, your world is through your perspective. Mm-hmm. If you change your perspective, the world's going to change. That story about Tune Broadway walking and like shifting your perspective from the worst to the best is my, my best example of how you can shift your perspective in like a real life situation. Where I actually thought about how can I navigate this in my brain and make this better in my brain. And I spent a lot of time on my backside, which is, you know, flatter on the bed, just thinking mm. how I can make this better because this is, be honest with you, Dan, this is not a great situation to be in, but like, how can you make it less suck? Turn down the suck, I call it. Mm. So that's, I don't know, that's pretty key for me. And I think perspective is a big game changer. And something I try to do in my talks is maybe shift your perspective. Like, is this the worst? Maybe not. Like, one of the value props for my talk now, I'm, I'm trying to like, identify these problems that I solve. And one of them is like shifting your perspective of your teams. And like, for instance, a lot of like, as like a sales development representations, sales development reps, like SDRs have got to call and try to get new business. And they get a lot of no's. They get a lot of hangups and like hangups and <laughs> no thanks. Mm-hmm. And you can take that quite personally. Oh yeah. But what if you shift your perspective? Like, why are you calling me at work? This is wasting my time. What are you doing with your life? Like, that's their chance to vent. Thank, thank goodness you're not them. Like you, you have this one interaction with them with John and he reams you out for calling him at work and I don't want your bloody product. And you think, well, this is so, why is it so tough? Why is John so tough to me? He's like, well, thank God you're John. John's having a tough day. Like you can shift your perspective. Like, like this is my one interaction with him. Thank goodness this is not my life. And then you go on the next call. Like shifting your perspective, like this is not the worst. This is just the situation I'm in right now. It's so key. It's it's the old uh, saying, there but for the grace of God go I. Sure. Um, it's it's the value I can have for this. And like I'm speaking now to kind of showcase this perspective and like hopefully allow people to find it themselves to navigate through a difficult situation because it's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. And. And. Like, yeah. what, what do you want to have happened? Like, I could wish the whole thing didn't happen again and again and again. I could wish it didn't happen. Six months later, I'm still at square one. If I just got on with it and accepted it, I could be taking steps to progress myself and develop and improve my lot. Because at the end of the day, it's your responsibility. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. And you can navigate this in a way that's going to allow you to be better than yesterday. I share a lot of hacks on my talk as well, uh, Walt. If you don't mind, I'd like to share one or two of them with your audience. That okay? Sure, I'd love to hear them. So... My hacks are something that I use to help myself be better than yesterday and allow me to navigate the world in a more pragmatic and thoughtful way. So I'll share one with you that's from London. Um, it's called Icebreakers. Okay. But it can work for anyone in a big city. Um, so icebreakers, when you walk into busy, busy part of the city, you want to find an icebreaker. Now, what's an icebreaker, you may ask? Not a cheesy pickup line. <laughs> it's uh, you find someone walking your direction and you slot them behind them on the sidewalk and you let them break the ice for you. So they're essentially facing the oncoming traffic and you're right behind them. So you're not facing any oncoming traffic. This reduces the strain you face and you feel and saves your battery. Mm. That's a really low key one to kind of implement. And something I love doing the circuses in London, Oxford circus, Piccadilly circus, very busy city, but 
that's something I kind of use to navigate the world. And something else I have is, is timers on my phone, alarms on my phone. So if I remember something I want to do, well, I'll set a timer on my phone or alarm on my phone for, like, let's say, 1 o'clock for this podcast today. I'll set it for 12.55. Mm-hmm. Write it on my phone. Podcast with Walt at 12.55. And go, oh, you know, I got a podcast with Walt. Be fair, Walt, I gave you 12.50. I gave you more respect than five minutes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and you just do that through the course of the day. And then, like, you action the alarm at that time. So it could be, like, email John about talk opportunities next quarter at 3.37. You know, oh, I want to do that, but I didn't have the chance at the 3.37 until 3.37. So let's do that. So what reframing stuff in your mind and allowing you to kind of navigate this in a way that's helpful. I'll share one last with you, one, one, one last with you, one, Walt. And that's um, the power of making your bed. Mm. Now, this seems like a really basic and, like, I don't know, foolhardy thing to, to, to preach, but I'm going to preach it because I give it a lot of talks. And this is the one that gives me the most comments and positive reinforcement is making. I make my bed now because of you, Dan. Hmm. I single-handedly have made hundreds of beds, maybe not hundreds, maybe dozens of beds at this stage. But if you make your bed, you start off the day with the first task you accomplish. You mm-hmm. pave the way for success. The last thing you do in the day is get into bed. Hey, I accomplished that in the morning. Tim Ferriss says, if you win the morning, you win the day. Now, if you make your bed, the first thing you do is you accomplish the first task of the day. The room will look tidy. It can be messy, but the bed's made. The room will look tidy. But by making the bed, you kind of set yourself for success. And you start that morning process off in a positive way. My mornings are very crucial to me and very, um, I'm very thoughtful and purposeful with my, my mornings. And making the bed is a huge part of this. I don't know. I never made my bed growing up, but now I do every day and it's, it's immaculate. I don't know. It, maybe that's maybe speaking, speaking on a turn here, but I think it's quite helpful. It, well, it makes sense to me. I mean, what you're really talking about from my perspective, um, you started off talking about reframing. Now you're talking about sort of a, an adjective. I call it pre-framing. You're pre-framing your day by making the bed. You're basically putting your mind into a mindset that says this day is off to a good start. And just the act of getting your day off to a good start sets the path. It, it pre-paves the day for other things to be good that day for other good things to happen. So you're, you're basically telling your brain, this is a good day. Exactly. And momentum is another one I want to share with you too, Walt. And it's like momentum I've got, I'll share one type of momentum with you and that's called building blocks. Mm-hmm. Now momentum is, is key. I found it key in my life because with the brain injury, you have things called fatigue, which is like just like you're stuck in molasses. You just move very slow. And if you don't harness when you're moving, can be quite difficult to get the wheel moving back up again. So if you don't pair things together or stack things on top of each other, you can lose that momentum and like you'll just fizzle out and, and fade away. So what I do is like when I come home from work, I do laundry and make dinner. I'll throw a lot of laundry in right away. I'll get dinner on the stove and then I'll sit down. <clears throat> if I sit down first and try and do dinner and the laundry afterwards, there's not a chance, not a chance I'm going to get that done. If I harness momentum by day and come in the door and do that right away, it's already started. And to keep things moving is so much easier than starting from a dead stop. Momentum's key, a key cl- ha- habit for me. Well, momentum <laughs> yeah. instead of inertia, because you can easily fall into the inertia trap by just sitting down. But by using the momentum you have coming in the door, it, yeah. it's always easier to follow momentum with more momentum. It's so much easier to keep things rolling. Like you just stack stuff all on top of each other. And like it can be like dinner. Clean the room, 
um, laundry and just keep it going. And then the very end of the day, you can sit down and be like, hey, I accomplished a lot today because I used momentum. Mm-hmm. And momentum is key for this because that's something that I've identified after the brain injury is like, I got to stack this stuff because if I try to go from a dead stop to be like, I'm going to make dinner now, hey, man, sometimes it's really tough. And sometimes you just don't have the energy to do so. And you're like, how can I have the energy to do this? But if you stack it, it just ebbs and flows and naturally carries on with us. It's pretty cool. What you've been talking about overall here, I kind of put into the category of mindset. Um, yeah. Because mindset really is the, the foundation upon which all of our lives are built in every single aspect. Um, I'm also curious to know from your perspective, what role does self-confidence and self-belief play in all of this? Oh, very crucial. So self-confidence and belief is, is pretty key for this. And I'll tell you how I've like, how I've developed this on my side. I keep promises to myself. So for instance, I go to the pool quite a bit. I swim quite a lot. And whenever I get in the pool, I always map out a plan of how many laps I'm going to do. I've got a lap counter, which does just what it says in the tent. Counts mm-hmm. your laps. Yeah. I'll be in the pool and be like, you know, I've got this much time. How many laps do I want to do? And I'll, and I'll set my mind go. And if I think 40, I'll do 40. If I think 70, I got to do 70. But if I think it, I got to do it. I got to do it. So if I like 65 and I'm at 30, I'm like, oh, I'm gassed. I'm like, I said 65. But I keep that promise. I'm in the sauna and it's like, I got to make it for 10 more minutes or 10 minutes. The seven minute mark, I'm feeling tired. I'm like, you said 10 minutes, man. And I keep those promises to myself. And now I know if I, I say yes in my mind, I go. Cold showers. I cold shower every morning. I end the shower cold. Sorry, so cold shower the whole shower. I end the shower cold for the last two minutes. A cold shower is quite abrasive. Mm. but I relish it now. And I force myself to go into the cold because I have told myself I'm going to do this. So self-confidence is key. And you get that by keeping promises to yourself. If I say I'm going to do it, I do it point blank, straight up. Mindset still keeps this as well. Well, something you identify and that's something I've really fostered is a mindset of not feeling sorry for yourself. Um, and just getting up post-traumatic growth is something a friend of mine mentioned to me when she heard about my situation. She's like, Dan, you seem to really exemplify post-traumatic growth. You really kind of exude this. And I really crave this, this response. Like, and I'll take a step back. For instance, the job loss this summer, my brother messaged me. He goes, Dan, I heard, sorry to hear about your job loss, man. I've been knowing you, you'll get back up and it's be a minor bum on the road. And, I was like, yeah, you know what? It is my problem. The road, like, look what I've been through. Look what I've navigated. Like, mm-hmm. I can look at my history, my medical history, my recovery, my setbacks. Look at a job loss. I'm like, yeah, it's a knock for sure, but it's not like a death blow, and it's not anything I cannot overcome. But like the mindset of like, is that all you got? Bring it on, man. Let's go. Like, it's it's just instilled in me now. Now I kind of crave those those adverse points where I can kind of prove people wrong, or at least prove myself that I can do something. You know. And this determination that you're discussing, let's tie that back to uh, that concept of the, the self-confidence, self-belief. How how do the two tie together in your mind? So self-confidence and determination? Yeah. Um, well, if I say to myself, I'm going to do something, I do it straight up. Because I'm the type of guy that keeps promises to myself. And my whole way to be in my whole value system or like my whole 
values that I hold myself are reflected on the fact that if I say I do something, I do something. So I just do it. So in essence, you're, you're making a commitment to yourself and you're keeping the commitment to yourself. And in that way, you're honoring yourself is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And like, if I don't, if my word doesn't mean anything, then, then why say it? Makes total sense. And I think now, that's been such a key way for me to navigate this. And like one thing that I did last year, well, was I skied for the first time in, in 10 years. Good for you. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a goal of mine in the hospital. Uh, I was working on the even bars in the early days in Charing Cross. And the even bars are what they sound like, even bars you hold when you're walking, when you're learning right. to walk. And the, <clears throat> the nurses asked me what I wanted to get back to doing. You know, I, was, I used to be a pretty sporty guy. I played soccer, hockey, volleyball, softball, skiing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what would be the most difficult sport to get back to doing? That would signify a big recovery, big progression on my side if I could get back to doing that. That scheme would be the most difficult. Balance, mm-hmm. core strength, depth perception. Mm-hmm. If I could be back to skiing again, that'd be pretty rad. Yeah. I want to ski again, I told them. And they said, okay. And afterwards, I told them, you know what? I'm going to do that 100%. It took me 10 years from the last ski trip I did, 2012 to 2022, but I managed to ski last winter. Not crazy, not black diamonds. And well, we did, no, we did blue. We didn't do a black. With you, some nice turns, and we got in the still? hill. That's kind of the big thing. Yeah, that's still really good. That's that's, that's yeah, like, it's commendable. That's like uh, I just do what I say I'm going to do now, and it's, it's something I very hold dearly to myself because I realize how much of a facade and veneer the whole the whole world is really like. You realize how how delicate the whole situation is and how it can be taken away from you in an instant. Like lockdown was a good thing to see like, you know, the world, your freedoms and, and like your, uh, your ability to go outside and to enjoy life other than London. It was quite a trip to lockdown in London. Mm. That all gets taken away in an instant. And you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, I used to go swimming all the time. That was wonderful. Now I can't. Right. Like life, being able to go like to play sports, enjoy being able to walk, man. Like walking was huge. And talking and all this stuff that you take for granted and you enjoy and then it's taken away from you realize how important this is. I remember after I'd been in the hospital for a while, I was being fed by feeding tubes and my dad brought in a fish and chips from a chippy in, in London, which is quite a big thing in London. And I devoured it, like just inhaled mm. this fish and chips. Mm. And he was, how was I? I was, well, I was effing fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seemed pretty good. Like it was pretty. It was a joy to watch you eat that because you hadn't eaten real <laughs> food in, in months, right? Yeah, there you go. And I'm on these like breathing, like these feeding tubes and this like mush from the hospital. And no disrespect to Charing Cross, but the hospital food's not the best. <laughs> That's an uh, old story. So, like, it's uh, just like you just you just appreciate those things. Mm. And they get taken away. Um. One, one last story I'll share with you here, Walt. Well, not one last, but I'll share one more story with you. Is that's challenge. And that's, um, sometimes you get to challenge your, your, your surroundings, your, your, uh, your situation and to know if you can proceed and move past it. Mm-hmm. So after the hospital, I had a shower and a bath mat. The first time I getting showered in a wheelchair, which is pretty degrading. Sure. Then I got to shower on a bath mat, but I needed the bath mat to stabilize myself because it was like Bambi on ice in there, right? Mm-hmm. And 
I hate this Batman and I hang it up on the wall to dry every day because it would remind me that I couldn't stand. It was telling me you're not good enough to stand then. Mm-hmm. This Batman's drying. It's really expensive Batman, like I don't know, 100 pounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. One day I just said, you know what? I'm not using this bloody Batman anymore. Like I'm tossing this Batman away. I hate this thing. My folks were like, no, no, you got to use the Batman. It's not safe. I'm like, you know, I'm not doing it. And I managed to shower that day with the Batman and I never turned back. But if I didn't challenge the Batman, if I need the Batman, I wouldn't have proceeded past that. Sometimes you got to challenge your, your notions of what you think is possible hmm. and push past the boundaries. It's like, it's like the okay. classic example of uh, Roger Bannister breaking the four minute mile for the first time. Yeah, he, exactly. was, he was the first one to actually challenge the idea that it couldn't be done. And then it all breaks through. And then like, I got a couple other examples of this as well. Um, Walt nuts. I used to walk with a stick, right? I had to walk with a stick. That's what we thought. Sure. I came back to Vancouver. I forgot my stick. Guess mm-hmm. what? I still walked for a week. So we ditched the stick after that. Like it's just mm-hmm. like these little steps. Like you don't need this. I used to wear an eye patch because I have double vision. I still have double vision, which means mm-hmm. I can see two of you all, which is fantastic, but it's quite disorientated and quite difficult to navigate the world in two. I'm two, sure. Uh, 4D or whatever the hell this is right now. I've got a little on here, but it's, and I, and I moved to the iPad to a contact lens which blocks the, the, the light. Mm-hmm. I went to South Africa on a safari and I figured the dust and dirt would get in my eyes, so I left it at home. But guess what? I managed to find, so we ditched the iPad. We just a contact lens. So it's like, you push up against these boundaries and you realize you know you can navigate through these. And when you realize you can navigate through them, you move forward and you progress. You only navigate and progress if you have the risk of failure. Each one of those things, the bath mat, the contact lens, the the walking stick, like had a big, you know, failure was a like a very clear and present danger, but I didn't mm-hmm. fail. And I never looked back. Yeah, your determination really comes through loud and clear with each one of those stories. Um, something else that has come through too, and it, and it really started with the very first story that you told us about how you had your incident, uh, your mom gets on the plane, she's flying while you're going into surgery and so on and so forth. And, and you've, you've brought in your, your, your mother, your brother, your father. Um, and I, I get the sense there are a number of people that have been playing roles in your, in your recovery process. Uh, but they're all social connections. And I want you to talk about how important is it to have that social network, that social support system to get through something like this? No, oh, very crucial. That's a great point, Walt. It's, um, I had a lot of help and a lot of people went out of their way and not help me navigate the space in a way that was pragmatic and like, and helpful. Social connections are one thing I realized is so key for this. Like that's the lesson I learned from this is like, you're nothing without your relationships and your, and your friendships and your loved ones. Like you got to honor those, nurture those and, and keep them up because when you're flat on your back and you're looking to survive and, and navigate this world, like you're, you're relying on those connections. Those people are going to go out of their way to help you. Mm. I had a number of friends visit me in the hospital from Vancouver and in London as well. Very grateful for them. But like it, it's, it meant the world to me because like they'd see me and like they would see even when I was there, then I noticed you progressing. And I saw them there. I was like, I was motivated to improve myself because I wanted to show them, Hey man, I'm working here. Like I'm, I'm trying to get better here. Mm. I had a number of people at my work too. Um, Who's here in London come up to me and go, hey, Dan, like, I really admire your, um, your, your progress. Like, they'd see me with the eye patch and the cane, the no eye patch and no cane. Like, oh, did you know me before the injury? Like, no, I didn't. But I've seen you progress from the injury, and it's been pretty cool to see. I'm like, oh, that's pretty, that's cool. Thank you for saying that. Like, it's like, 
it's it's so key and so so revitalizing to hear that. Yeah. See that because when we have that kind of connection, when we have those kinds of connections and those connections are coming through in that way, it's very similar to what you were talking about earlier. You talked about how you start off your day with that positive feeling of making the bed and you and you basically uh, establish a new momentum for the day. Well, those those social connections also help to establish that positive momentum, even if you're not feeling it, even if at that particular moment on that particular day is just not there. Uh, and, and when you have those social connections that you've developed over the years and they're there for you, boy, does that make it so much easier to navigate whatever it is that you're going through. I, I actually went through something uh, of my own recently. You mentioned a, a failed relationship. Well, my marriage failed in October. And failed, failed, thank you, failed spectacularly, actually. And I was so grateful for the wonderful friendships I've made largely from doing this podcast. Uh, people who are, you know, life coaches and therapists and so forth. And, you know, they were at my, practically at my beck and call. I'd call them up, you know, Hey, I've got this terrible situation. My wife left me. Oh my goodness. And they're right there helping me through it. Boy, did that really pay off. So, I mean, I, that's why I brought this up because I, I truly value and appreciate all of my, my best friendships, my, my closest uh, people to me. But I also want other people to remember, build those, appreciate those. Uh, because, boy, you, you never want to be in a situation like you were in, Daniel. But if you are, you need to have that support system. Otherwise, it just makes it a thousand times harder to get through the whole thing, right? 100%. And one thing that my mom always says, you can never, never grow old friends. You never mm. have old friends. You can never gain new old friends. Yeah, yeah. So you have to nurture those relationships and like keep them up. Like it's, it could be a phone call a month, a phone call a quarter, like a few months and an email. It's like keep in touch, keep those touch points there and like just, just care. Like, I don't know. It's just, you kind of realize that it's not that difficult to do, but it really makes a big difference to you, especially when you're in a down and trodden situation. I'm reminded of a scene from the movie The Secret. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, a story about um, how the law of attraction works. One of the scenes of the movie is an interview with a gentleman who crashed an airplane. And he crashed it so severely that literally almost every body, bone in his body was broken. He was told that he would never walk again. He was told that he would be a vegetable for the rest of his life. But he made a very profound comment, and it's reminding me totally of what your entire story has been talking about. He said, when you have your mind, you can start putting things back together again. And that's really what you did when you encountered your horrific situation. You said, I've got my mind. I can start putting things back together again. I just have to be willing to do it. Yeah, it's very, um, well, it's ironic because the thing with the brain injury is like you, you, you have your mind, but like by a, by a grasp. Sometimes I would find my mind would just go and I have to wrestle. It was like an unbridled stallion that I'd have to try and keep under control. And sometimes it would just not be there at all. Mm. Be very intentional to keep my mind at play. But when I was in play, I was very intentional about like doing these steps to build myself up. Like every morning I wake up and follow this routine because if I do that routine, I'm more likely to have a better day. But you're right. If you have your mind, you know, you can make progress and make things happen. And that's very key to know. It's where, I mean, when you're in a terrible situation like that, you're, you're kind of reaching for anything you can grasp to hold on to. And I think that's one of the first things that people realize that they can hold on to. They've got their mind. They can do something 
with their mind. They may not, like you said, they may not always have that grasp. They may be going through periods where now I've got it, now I don't. <sighs> but like with anything else in life, I mean, that that's the way life goes. I, never mind a traumatic or a horrific situation, just the regular ebbs and flows of life. There are some times when we're able to hang on and there are other times where we feel like we're just kind of lost at sea. But the trick, the key is to realize, okay, well, the next time, next time that I, I can hang on to something, I'm going to hang on as long as I can. I'm, I'm going to keep going after it again and again until I finally win, until I finally get to the point where I want to get to with whatever it is I'm trying to accomplish. Until I finally win, Walt. I love that. It's like, yeah. I'm, I'm not, it's not over till I win is what I tell people all the time. It's like, I'm not, I haven't won yet. But um, one thing that I wanted to circle back on here too, Walt, as you mentioned, holding your nerve is a big thing that I've identified. And that's in a lot of situations, just being able to be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation, just holding yourself steady and not rushing to say something or do something that you're going to regret or is not ready to go yet. Mm. Holding your nerve has been a very key thing for me to remember of late because I'm, you know, moving into getting my speaking assets. I'm online, demo real website, all this stuff. I've got very many pieces on the go right now. And it's, I could be quick to rush in and like, oh, here's this, here's this. It's like, no, no, it's not ready yet. Wait, mm. wait, wait. And that patience is so difficult because sometimes it can be quite impulsive and quite, I want to show progress and get going and, and move forward with this, but like, just, just give it a second. Like, let it breathe for a second here. That's not saying like I'm aiming for perfection here, but I'm just saying like, just hold your nerve and know when to strike. Because uh, I'm a big believer in done is better than perfect, but I'm also a believer in like, hold your nerve and do it when it's the right time. The timing plays a major role in all of this stuff, doesn't it? Sometimes you have to just be willing to sit back and wait. And other times you have to kind of be alert to this is a time for me to take a step. This is a time for me to go after a brass ring or, or whatever it is that, that it is you need to go after. And trying to learn that timing can actually be a challenge. I think largely because we live in a time where everything is immediate gratification. We're used to everything coming immediately. And now we're at, when we're in a, a really difficult situation and things can't come immediately, it kind of throws us out of whack because that's not the what, that's not the life we're used to these days. It's not like, you know, when I was growing up, you know, 60 years ago where there was no internet, there were no computers, there were no smartphones or anything. And so you were always waiting. You were always trying to be patient. Things moved a lot more slowly. Today, everything moves so quickly and it doesn't show. It's like, oh my God, what happened? Yeah, it's very difficult to be patient and hold your nerve in, in situations like that. And so take a breath, like take a walk, meditate on it. Just like, just to give yourself some space. And then when you're done, you're like, oh no, not the time to do it right now. Not the time to do it right now. Like really just kind of waiting for the times to be right to make your strike and go for it is kind of key. Not to say like be waiting on the sidelines the whole time, but like just just don't rush into something you're not ready for. Yeah, that idea of rushing, that kind of goes right to the heart of it, doesn't it? Because when you're rushing, what you're really doing is you're climbing out of who you really are for a moment saying, oh, I, I can't I can't be where I am. I can't be who I am. I got to be something else right now. And when we rush like that, we basically, we do ourselves a disservice, really. We don't think of it that way, but we do ourselves a, a disservice because we don't allow ourselves to be where we are. And you send yourself up to fail, too. Like, it's like, if you if you want this so bad and you want this more than anything, you can't rush it. 
You gotta wait for it to be right and you gotta strike with all your might behind it. You can't like weakly limp into this when you're not ready because man, it's gonna chew you up and spit you out. And I've mm. been there before and it's like it's not it's not a good feeling, it's not a good vibe. Wait for yourself to be right and then go all in hard. But don't rush it. Yeah, that's a very consistent theme in your story, isn't it? When you're ready, when you when you go after something, you really go after it. I mean, there's nothing in any of your storyline that is half-hearted or that is, you know, just sort of or, or part way. That, that, that doesn't even play a role in your story. No, I think, like, if you're going to do something, go all in and make it, like, earn it. And, like, that's why it's kind of exciting, too, because, like, the, the potential for failure is really there. And, like, if I fail, it's, like, it's not going to be a small failure. It's going to be, like, a big, you miss that pretty bad, bud. You thought you'd walk without a cane? Yeah, no. <laughs> skiing you thought you could see like no like it's walking this tightrope walk in front of people and be like hey i'm gonna try this and see how it goes hopefully it works and it has worked so far but you know the, the potential for me to fall is very much there and it's very much like i'm very much aware of that but i kind of need that though walt i need that like that threat of like it's on the line like there's something behind this if i don't make this through i'm not going to be okay it's not going to be good it's not going to be smooth and pretty there's consequences if I fail, and I just haven't failed yet. Well, I failed many times, but never on the wire. Yeah, that's a key difference right there. Um, you're, you're reminding me of something that Will Smith said in the last few years. He said that successful people fail all the time, but what we see is the success because they never stopped. They didn't give yeah. up after the failure. The, the difference between the kind of failure you're talking about and the kind of failure he's talking about is – Failing and then stopping. Yeah, that, that, that comes back to the comment you said, like, it's not over because I haven't won yet. And it's like, I believe that. Mm. It's not over because I haven't won. And, like, I'm not going to stop. Mm -hmm. It may sound like this guy's talking out of his backside, but, like, look, I'm not going to stop. Like, it's, it's like, look at my, well, look at my history and what I've been through. And, like, you're going to tell me, oh, you can't do this, Dan? like, cool. Well, they didn't think I could do this. When I first got to the hospital, Walt, they didn't think I could talk again. Mm. The breathing tube was removed and my, it messed up my airwaves or my breathing, my speaking muscles or whatever. I don't know, larynx, whatever. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said, oh, I don't think he can talk again without mm -hmm. even looking at me, looking at my chart. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's a talker anymore. I don't think he can talk. It was like it disrupted his, his speaking muscles and his kiwi nurse was like, oh, I'll make him talk. And the way she got me to talk, she took me down to the park. She sent me in front of these like kids across the parking lot. Dan, they don't think you're good enough to talk. No. Oh. <laughs> and I was just like, and I managed right. to get my voice back, right? But like, tell me I can't do something, bud, and like I'll I'll bend the world to prove you wrong. <laughs> that was a smart nurse, I gotta tell you. A very smart nurse. She knew how to push my buttons, and like I was fuming, man. I was fuming. <laughs> but like that works so well, and I, I know how to motivate myself now. Is tell me I can't do something, and watch me bend the world to make it happen. Mm, yeah. Motivation has transitioned now from less proving me wrong to more helping people, which is a, a very conscious decision in my mind to be less, I'm going to prove you wrong and more, let me help you take a step up. Because I know that once you prove someone wrong, the motivation's washed away. It's done. It's finished. It never existed. But if I'm helping you, I can be motivated through your, your constant evolution and, and uh, progression rather than just watching myself prove you wrong because that. Proving wrong feels good in the moment, but when it's done, you're, you're finished. And when I'm helping you, it's always ongoing there, if that makes sense. 
As a speaker, I imagine, uh, well, especially these days since the pandemic, probably a lot of it has been online, but I imagine you've also had the opportunity to speak in front of live audiences. And yeah. I imagine there have been times when uh, you, you would spot perhaps only a, a few people, but one or two people in the audience who you could just tell from the looks on their faces that they were just resigned to whatever was going on in their lives. They just, they, 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 they the fight was gone and they, yeah. they basically just thrown in the towel. And I'm curious, what do you say to somebody like that? Who's in that, that really bad mental space? I mean, I always recommend the first thing I recommend is get out of your head and into your body, which means work out, walk, exercise, swim, get into your body. That's the first thing you do. Change your state of mind, change your state of being. And then keep doing small things like that and build up enough confidence to start doing that again and again. And realizing that your situation is not set. It's not set in stone. You can adapt, you can survive, you can iterate it. Like it's, but it's all about how you think about it. And the only way you think about it is if you move. Progress is, is how you make things happen. By taking forward steps, you may take three steps back some days, but at least you try to take a step forward. But by fighting that fight for that day, you win the fight for that day. But every day you got to fight it, man. And so if you're stagnant, you're stopped, and they hear the story and they go, hey, man, I'm sorry, I'm going to start. I gave this talk at um, NHS uh, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I told the story about me swimming and how important that was for my vibe. And after the talk, I got feedback from the practitioner saying, Dan, one of the patients said they used to be a swimmer before the injury as well. But they stopped and they realized how difficult it was to do. After your talk, I'm going to start swimming again because I realize how important that is. And how much mm. is that? That comment right there. Like, that, I mean, maybe he tried it once and gave up on it, maybe. But maybe that changed his whole life. Because if he realized he can swim again, He'll start walking again and going to the grocery store again and getting a job and maybe who knows what happens. But like, it's taking that next step. And I'm telling you, it's possible to take that step because it took me, the first time I went swimming, it took me an hour to get changed. Mm. I swam for like five minutes. The next time it took me 55 minutes and then I swam for 10 minutes. And now it's like, it's five minutes to change, 50 minutes to swim. Like, it's it's just like, you got to build up to this. It's not going to be out of the gate ripping hot, but it's going to be, out of the gate, you got to take a step. Mm. When you take that step, you can compound those steps and start climbing the ladder. But you don't climb the ladder by sitting on the sidelines. There's a, there's a theme that's running through what you've been saying here. And, and if I were to summarize that theme in one word, it would be the word choice. Because no matter what our circumstances are, we have a choice. If, if we're that person who's sitting in the audience with the glazed look on the face, deciding that there is no hope, there's, there's no purpose in going ahead, everything's just going to be a failure and so forth, that's a choice. That's a choice that the person is making. And if that person can understand that it, it's not the only choice they can be making, there's another choice that they can be making that will actually move them closer to they want to, where they want to go. I think there's something empowering in recognizing that we do have the power of choice, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter how bad they could be. We still have that power to choose. I mean, that's a great observation, Walt. And I think choice is something that's so key for this. And like, you get to choose how you react to this. You get the opportunity to succeed, but you have the opportunity to. It's not given you're going to happen. Mm-hmm. You have the chance to make it work, but if only if you choose to make it work. None of this stuff is easy that I've talked about doing, like walking in, talking in, skiing in. It's not easy, mm-hmm. but it's simple. But I mean, this is like, if I choose what I want to do, if I'm going to walk in, I just 
make it happen. But you choose to make that choice. It's very simple. It's yes or no. If yes, then make it happen. If no, then I punt it. Life is this way. Am I going to make it happen? Yes, no, then make it happen. It's simple to make that choice. It's not easy to do. Then make me a speaker. I want to be a speaker now. Sure, here's, it's just straight, it's happening to be straight up hill right now. And I'm climbing that hill. And some days it's three steps back, Walt, and one step forward. But it's like, sure. it's, it's the right choice. And I'm inching my word towards the top of that hill. And it's not easy, but it's simple. You have a passion for it too. That's coming through very clearly in all of the, the hacks that you're giving, the stories that you're telling, the admonitions you're putting out there. That there is a strong passion that I think you're kind of leaning on to keep yourself going. It's, it's a good observation. It's very much a passion for me. And it's like, because I know how difficult it is when you're down now. And like, I know how hopeless and, and, and like just lifeless you can be and how, how dead to rights you can be. And if you choose, as you mentioned, to look at it differently, you can navigate this and get back. And like, but you have to choose that and you can choose that, but you have to choose it. Yeah, it's it's a conscious selection. It's taking back your power to choose and saying that's mine. No one can take it from me. I can give it away, but no one can take it from me without my permission. Exactly, and like that's so key for this because I got I got a bit fired up with this. I'm sorry, but like <laughs> no apology um, necessary. <laughs> it's um, I don't know. It's just it lights me up, man. It, like. It, there's this, this is an expression in, in Japanese, and it's called ikigai. Excuse the pronunciation, that's definitely not how you pronounce it, but it's called, it's like where your passion, purpose, and skill set all meet together. Hmm. And it's this thing of like, just, you know, what value can you add to the world, and what are you passionate about? And like, for me, that is like speaking about perspective, motivation, resilience. Like, how can you navigate this world? Because it's my experience that allowed me to navigate this. And I can show you, like, hey, man. You can get up and get through this if you put one foot in front of the other, but you have to put the foot, you have to choose to put your foot there. If you don't, then, hey man, I can't help you. But if you choose to, I can show you a way through. You have to choose. Yeah, that's big. That's really big. So you, you, you're developing this new speaking career. You've already been doing some speaking. You want to keep building it up. There's a, there's always a chance of someone listening in of the hundreds of people who listen to the podcast. There might be somebody who actually knows of a situation where they want to bring you in. So if that's the case, how do they reach out? How do they find you? Great question. Thanks, Walt. Um, I'm going to have a website up pretty soon, McQueenDan.com. And McQueenDan across all the socials. Um, if the website's not up just yet, feel free to message me on Instagram. I can get back to you, but, um, I'm hoping, I mean, technology stuff, Walt, is not my forte. <laughs> the demo reel is going to be up over the next week, but the website, I'm hoping, will be up at the end of the month. But that's also a maybe. So the website would be ideal, but also McQueen Dan across all social. And that's M-A-C-Q-U-E-N, Dan, across all the socials. All right. Now, I'll make sure we'll also include a link in the show notes for the website, too. Uh, even though it isn't complete, there, there is something there so people can still reach out through that method. Um, something else I want to tell you too, that I try to make a point to all the people on the show who are givers and you're clearly a giver who wants to, to give to other people to help them to overcome their obstacles and achieve their dreams. Uh, and, and it ties in really directly to what we were talking about a few moments ago 
uh, because there are many people you've never met them. You'll never see them. They heard you on a podcast. You know, they read a, a post that you wrote. They, they heard about your story in some way and you touched their lives in a particular way. They, you answered a question. You gave them a, 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 a key idea that helped them to move forward and, and you'll never see the result of that. But I think it's important to recognize the contributions that, that all givers make in those areas, and, you, and you're one of them. So on behalf of those people you'll never meet and that you'll never see, who you've helped in ways that you'll never know about, thank you on their behalf. Well, thanks, Walt. That means a lot. And that's like, it's just why I do a lot of this is because I know that I would have loved to have this information when I was going through the process. But I didn't have it, and I had to learn this on my own or learn it through trial and error fall down seven, get up eight kind of times. And like, mm. I'm telling you, you don't need to fall down seven times. I can tell you this is the way it is now. Bring me in to speak and I can just in perspective. I'm happy to do that. Well, we're happy that you took the time to speak to us and tell us and share your story and to share your perspectives and your life hacks that you picked up along the way. So thanks, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing all this stuff. It's been really great having you here. Pleasure, Walt. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.